Active 911 is proud to partner with the Code 3 podcast. Active 911 designs technology for first responders to help heroes save lives. Learn more at active911.com. And I know they're under time compression, so they're like, well, you know, I, I got to be quick about this. I understand, you know, there's no pause button on the fire. I, I understand that you have to make quick decisions, but quick wrong decisions just lead to death faster. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. Some people call it autopilot. It's that ability to arrive at a scene and immediately get to work. That's a learned skill and definitely has a place on the fire ground. But another learned skill that may be even more important is the ability to analyze decisions before they're made. You may know it by a more familiar term, situational awareness. Most firefighters believe they have it already, and many do. Some really don't, but just like anything else, you can develop it or improve on what you have. There's a difference between situational awareness on the fire ground and in other jobs. That, of course, is that people can get hurt or die if it's not done well on this job. My guest today is an expert in helping firefighters build their situational awareness skills, and he has some tips that may make yours a bit better. Dr. Richard Gassaway is the president of Situational Awareness Matters. He leads a team of expert instructors who train and consult on safety and leadership topics. He's written seven books related to situational awareness, high-risk decision-making, and leadership. He served 33 years as a firefighter, EMT paramedic, company officer, training officer, fire chief, and incident commander, so he knows this topic well. And Rich Gassaway joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Well, thanks for having me, Scott. I really appreciate the opportunity to join you today and to talk about situational awareness. It's great to have you. So let's define situational awareness as it applies to structure fires. Well, it applies broadly beyond just the term you know, to use for structure fires. But in general, situational awareness is a person's ability to perceive and to understand what's happening in the environment around them while being mindful about how time is passing because obviously as time passes, conditions change. And as conditions change, then so should our awareness. And then take that understanding and make accurate predictions about what's going to happen in the future and hopefully make those predictions in time to prevent a bad outcome. So essentially, situation awareness, if I had to take all of that that I said and just sum it up in three words, it's the ability to perceive and to understand and to predict. 
Now, that sounds really simple until uh, a person who is inquisitive says, well, how do I do each of those things? How do I perceive the environment around me? How do I understand or make sense of it? How do I make accurate predictions about the future? And in the, uh, in the classes I teach, the process of perception, understanding, and prediction, that can easily take two hours to explain how it happens. You know, once a person understands how it happens, then that's pretty important to the foundation of situation awareness is understanding how it happens. Uh, and then we, in, in a class, we would then proceed on and say, okay, what are some of the ways that it can go wrong or, you know, go off the rails or how does situation awareness get flawed or how do you know it and what do you do about it? So I have a long answer to your first question, but that in the, in the nutshell is what situational awareness is. Now, I bet that every firefighter thinks they have good situational awareness, but do they really? Well, that that's a great observation. I think there are a lot of firefighters who simplify in their minds what they think situational awareness is by saying things like, well, all I have to do is pay attention and I'll have good situational awareness or have somebody watch my six and I'll have good situational awareness. It strikes me that that's the opposite of good situational awareness, counting on someone else. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Have somebody else do it for you. It's actually just more more complex than that. And, uh, you know, the, the purpose of what I'm trying to teach is to take the mystery out of it, you know, so that like, if you get in your car and you start it up and it starts every time, you don't really have to understand how your car operates, but if you get in your car and you try to start it and it starts making a weird noise or it doesn't turn over at all, having some knowledge about what's happening under the hood can help you to figure out what the problem is and how to fix it. And that's kind of what I teach. And instead of it being under the hood, it's what's happening in your brain that, uh, that I'm teaching that helps responders to, to make sense of it. And quite often I get the feedback of, I never really understood what situational awareness was until now, you know, now I know, now I really know what it is and why it's important and how to develop it. And it's with that knowledge that a responder can develop good situational awareness and then use that awareness as a foundation for good decision-making. Now there's a weird thing happening here, Scott, and that is you can have terrible situational awareness, horrible situational awareness. You absolutely can have zero situational awareness and still make a great decision. We call that lucky. And out there in the world are a lot of responders lucking their way into successful outcomes and thinking it's skill. But eventually that luck is going to run out and then it could be a very bad day. And that's what we see happen. And that's what, that's, you know, that's my passion to try to help them to avoid the bad day. You know, coming back to the definition of situation awareness, it's the ability to predict outcomes in time to prevent bad things from happening, you know, and that's what I wish most for responders. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of responders out there that are very good students of the topic very inquisitive, very eager to learn, very open-minded. And then there's some that just like look at an incident where something had ha- has happened where responders got hurt or killed 
and they they start throwing around judgment like and saying things like, well, how could they be so dumb or or that was just a stupid decision and and, and they start to judge what other people are doing instead of trying to learn why what they were doing at that point in time, why did that make sense to them? It might never make sense to the person who's looking at it from the outside, but from the people who were there in the moment doing what they were doing when something went wrong, it made sense to them. They had some semblance of situational awareness. It might've been flawed or, or incorrect, but you know, (laughs) you're always having some amount of situational awareness. The, the, the key is to make sure that it's accurately representing the true situation that you're in, especially the threats in your environment. How often do firefighters go into autopilot mode and simply start doing in a fire scene? Quite often. We humans, we are creatures of habit. And there is nothing that will drive us more toward our habits than stress. The more stressed we get, the more we can go into automatic mode. And what is at risk here is, let's just say that firefighters do hands-on firefighter training at a burn building. So they're going to, the evolution is going to be take a hose line, go inside, go to the right, start fire attack, start search, and they're going to do that evolution four, five, six, eight times, enough to develop a proficient skill set of doing those physical activities. A lot of times in training, what is missing is teaching and practicing the thinking part of it. You know, if a firefighter is told, take a hose line, go through the door, turn right, conduct the primary search, and put out the fire when you see it, that's all physical activity based. And sometimes instructors miss the opportunity to challenge a firefighter during a training evolution to, to, to say to the firefighter, well, before you go in, maybe let's pause and you describe for me what the conditions would be like that maybe you wouldn't go in what would no-go look like to you? And if you had no-go conditions, what might you do instead of go? Now, that's not what we do on training grounds. We go, we go, we go, 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 go. We never no-go. And do it the same way we've done it 10 other times. In the same way, right, which is good for building physical, kinesthetic, muscle memory, muscle movement skills. So I don't want to diminish that to say that the repetitions of physical activity is bad, but what we have to get better at is while we're doing it, right in the midst of doing it, also teach and practice cognitive skills, thinking skills, decision-making skills, and teach firefighters how to make their own decisions instead of us making us instructors making decisions for them and teaching them how to assess the conditions and make their own go and no go decisions and their own hose line selections and their own route of travel. Instead of going through the front door 
maybe the front door isn't on a particular fire. Maybe the front door isn't the best point of entry, but you see firefighters going in the front door all the time automatically, as you had said, you know, this automatic mode. Why? Because they go in the front door of the training building instead of the back door because it takes more time, takes more effort. Heck, the front door is closer. Let's just go in the front door. And you see this. It's a great question because you see this automatic performance happening a lot. And, and that leads to critics saying, what were they thinking? And I, I contend that probably many times they really weren't thinking. They were just doing. They just had, they were in the, they were just doing, they were in the autopilot mode and performing without thinking. Now, if they train that way, if you train a firefighter to perform without thinking, then you can't sit in a classroom and tell a firefighter, think before you act. If you're going to teach them think before they act, then they have to be on the fire ground or training ground in turnout gear with smoke, with a hose, with an, with an engine noise in the background, practicing thinking before they act. Well, well, how do you practice that? I mean, it sounds like what you're describing is the IC job. Are you saying no. that the IC should give more vague instructions and then allow the firefighters to make their own decision after that? No. No, what I'm saying is when we're training, say, a company officer, uh, well, even a crew. When, in training, we should be teaching every member of a crew how to think because an officer can make a, a decision mistake or an officer can have flawed awareness. And if you have firefighters who are thinking, well, situation awareness is the officer's job, not mine. I'm not going to worry about it. You know, that's the officer's job to do that. Well, no, it's everyone's job to do that. So as good instructors, what we would want to do is try to make sure that we're teaching everyone how to think and how to make decisions. And we do that in training. And the more we teach them how to think and make decisions in training, the more likely it's going to transition to a fire ground that they're going to think before they make, you know, think and make their decisions instead of going in automatic mode. Now, in part, it is the, you say the incident commander, but if the company, if it's a first arriving crew and the officer on the first arriving crew is the company officer, be it lieutenant or captain or whatever, they are de facto the initial incident commander, you know, absent the presence of somebody more superior to establish, you know, a formal command position for the duration of the incident. That first arriving officer is the incident commander. And, you know, that's the person who carries the ultimate um, uh, authority and responsibility for establishing the strategy, establishing the tactics. But again, you got to be careful that that person doesn't go in automatic mode because they can. And if they do, and the firefighters follow in lockstep order, now you have the company officer slash initial commander and the firefighters all engaged in a physical activity that might not fit the conditions, <laughs> but they're, but they're doing it anyhow. Because they have trust in that officer that he has situational awareness. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, another skill that the, needs to be taught that's uh, kind of aligns with this is teaching firefighters how to speak up when they have a concern that an officer might be making an error in judgment or decision-making. And, uh, you know, fear is a very 
<laughs> powerful emotion. And if somebody fears the consequence or ridicule or embarrassment of speaking up, they may not speak up. And even though an officer has told their crew, you know, if you see something, speak up, and the crew will say, okay, I will. When it comes right down to it, under stress and time compression, a lot of firefighters don't or won't speak up because they're not comfortable with it. So how do you get them comfortable speaking up? Have drills, practice, <laughs> have practice evolutions. You know, we practice hose lines, we practice search and rescue, practice speaking up, actually run a drill where somebody speaks up to an officer. The best way to do this is ask the, ask the officer, if, you, if I needed to speak up to you and tell you that I think you're making a mistake, how would you want me to do that? What would you want me to say? Have the officer say, well, here's what, here's how I'd want you to address me. Then what do you think of this idea? The officer makes an intentional mistake, but doesn't tell them it's a mistake and sees if they catch it. Is that what you're talking about? I I, I presume that you're framing that question on a training scenario, right? Not a, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. Um, y- yes, so long as... So long as that mistake doesn't lead to a actual consequence. In other words, if the officer can, as, as part of a planned evolution in the mind of the officer, make a bad decision and hope that a firefighter speaks up, but then they don't speak up and they start to implement that bad decision, the officer can say, okay, let's stop. <laughs> we missed an opportunity here. You know, that was intentionally a bad decision in the hopes that somebody would speak up. Did anybody think this was a bad decision? And hopefully there'd be somebody that'd say, well, you know, I was kind of wondering, you know. Well, invariably, somebody's going to say yes, but you told us to do it, so we just did it. And that's and that's a lot of times what happens. You know, the firefighters respect the chain of command. It's, you know, we're a paramilitary organization. They're, they're trained to follow the orders of their superiors. But superiors can, officers can make errors in their judgment, in their decision-making, their, their situational awareness can be impacted and lead to a bad decision that, um, you know, one of the firefighters might see what's happening, but if they, again, don't speak up out of just sheer respect for the officer's position, the crew could find themselves in a really imperiled place. Um, very quickly. I have interviewed firefighters that have been involved in catastrophic incidents. And those fire, some of those firefighters have told me, I knew it was going to happen. And I, and then I'll say like, well, what do you mean you knew it was going to happen? And based, based on things that have happened, you know, over the course of years and how it was building up to a crescendo like this. Oh no, I knew right there on the scene it was going to happen. Well, why didn't you speak up? Oh no, 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 no. I can't speak up. I'm not an officer. I'm just a, just a line firefighter. So here's these, you can imagine the pain in their heart, especially if the, if the incident resulted in a fatality or, or a career ending injury, the pain they must feel to know that they could have spoken up, but they didn't for fear of ridicule, embarrassment, going to be wrong, going to get in trouble and, and they, you know, it's, it's like, it's like you're a passenger on the train and you see the train tracks end up ahead, but you, for whatever reason, don't go up and tell the engineer you need to stop the train. I'll be back with more right after this. 
Looking to decrease your response times? With Active Alert, get calls straight to your phone from dispatch via the app. Available for Android, iPhones, and tablets. Plus, get directions to the scene. Have all CAD notes in one place. See who's responding and quickly identify nearby map markers like hydrants and pre-plans. With a low per-device price, Active Alert is a must-have tool for first responders. See for yourself why it's trusted by thousands of firefighters nationwide. Start your free trial today at Active911.com. You make your living analyzing situational awareness. What's the most common flaw in the process that you find in real life? Well, uh, it's a great question. I think it varies some depending on uh, what industry it is, you know, like whether it's fire service or policing or highway workers or industry. So as, you know, we're focused on firefighters, I will say that the greatest challenge that I see is making accurate predictions about future events and to make those and making those accurate predictions in time. I think firefighters are pretty good at keeping their head on a swivel, paying attention, gathering intel about what's happening around them. I think they're pretty good about that. There can, there's some challenges, but I, and I think they're pretty good at taking the information that they gather and thinking of them like puzzle pieces and assembling the puzzle together and understanding what is happening, where I think they are challenged the most is pausing before they act and making a prediction based on, you know, here, here's the decision. Here's what I'm going to do. Pausing, take a couple deep breaths and say to themselves, how's this going to turn out before they actually even implement it, you know, kind of take that peer into the future. And in the class, I call it a recipe it's a process for how to predict outcomes, you know, how to accurately anticipate things that are happening in the future. And, uh, um, you know, as I teach it, I'd say, you know, practice these steps between a lot of firefighters think that you, the, the process for decision-making is, you know, you analyze things, you make a decision, then you take an action, make a decision, take an action. What I, try to encourage them to do is to insert a step between decision and action. And that set, that step that I try to talk them into inserting is prediction, make a decision, pause, take like two really deep breaths and make a prediction as to whether you really think your action is going to turn out successfully. I, I run an exercise in the leadership classes that I do where the, where the students have to try to solve a problem. And after 15 or 20 failed attempts of trying to solve the problem, somebody gets a great idea about how to solve it. And they're like, okay, we're ready. You know, set the timer. Cause I time them on, on their completion. And then I'll say, before we begin, before we begin, and you're on a timer and you have to get this done in under one minute before we begin, is there anybody on this team of four people? Is there anybody who thinks this isn't going to work? Speak up now if you think it isn't going to work. And somebody will say, yeah, I don't think it's going to work. I, okay, then you're not ready to implement. Talk it through. Tell them why you think it isn't going to work and come up with a better solution. Don't just roll the dice and, and depend on luck and hope that it's going to work when you have 
really strong intuition, maybe based on your previous 19 attempts, <laughs> that this isn't going to work. You've got four brains working the problem, so why not use them? Yeah, or, or they'll, they'll say, no, no, we all think it's going to work. And then we do it, it doesn't work. And somebody will, then somebody will speak up and say, well, you know, I kind of had my doubts. But they didn't speak up. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's so many lessons in, in, in this exercise for, you know, this is just how we do it on fireground. So I, I would hope that they would pause after their decision, take a couple of breaths, make a prediction. And again, there's a process for prediction. Run that process to make the prediction, see the outcome to see if it's going to be successful before they implement it. And I know they're under time compression. So they're like, well, you know, I, I got to be quick about this. I understand, you know, there's no pause button on the fire. I, I understand that you have to make quick decisions, but quick wrong decisions just lead to death faster. So if you, you the importance of quick decision making is quick right decisions. And sometimes the whole process is improved when we just slow it down just a few seconds. And again, we're back to the automatic mode that wants to kick in and do, you know, do things based on how we do in training. So it can, it can be kind of a, a tough cycle on somebody who's under time compression and stress to actually pause and make those predictions. But that's the predictive, the prediction part of the three-step process of perception, understanding, and prediction the prediction part is the one that I see most challenging for uh, first responders. And I think it's mostly because of the time compression and the potential consequence that happens if there's a delay in their action. So they don't want to delay their action. They just want to whoop, make a decision and whoop, put it in, you know, whoop, put it right into, right into movement. And I understand that. I mean, I was there. I did it 33 years. I, <laughs> I, I totally, I totally get the stress of it. Um, but a lot of times I, took quick action that I think luck probably saved me more than anything. You know, at, at the time it didn't feel like luck at the time I felt really smart because it turned out. Okay. But as I look back, as I look back on it now, I'm thinking, geez, I was pretty doggone lucky more times than I want to admit now. Yeah. It definitely takes some analysis to make a decision. Oh yeah. That, yeah, that's right. But the good news is it can be taught, you know, it's, but we have to teach it and we have to practice it and not just practice, teach it and practice it in the classroom, Scott. We got to teach it and practice it when we out, we'll go out in the fields and do the hands-on training too. you know, bring the cognitive from the classroom out into the field where we're doing the kinesthetic hands-on stuff and practice the cognitive, practice the thinking while we're doing. And, and, if, and if, we, if we as instructors could get good at that, then what the byproduct or the output of that is firefighters who become critical thinkers and resilient problem solvers. And that's a gift. Give, give, give me a, give me somebody who can critically, critically think and resolve problems versus the person who's got the ability to, you know, lift 500 pounds, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the one who, the one who's going to um, probably save me is the one who can think our way out of a problem. Not to say, I don't want to diminish, you know, those who we're going to you know, probably beat me down and say, well, oh, you know, physical abilities are important too. Yes, they are. I'm not diminishing it. You can certainly have both. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's uh yeah. 
be strong in it, but be a good thinker too. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. Rich Gasaway, thanks for being my guest today on Code 3. Thank you, Scott. I really appreciate you having me. And if you want to know more about situational awareness or Rich Gasaway's training programs, you'll find that information on our website, code3podcast.com slash awareness. Go take a look. If you're a patron of Code 3, there's another goodie waiting for you. This one's a short discussion about aviation safety. If you're not a patron, go to Code3Podcast.com slash support and sign up today. For 10 bucks a month, you'll support the show and you'll get Code 3 Bull Session content. That's the exclusive material that didn't make the show. It's for patrons only. It's Code3Podcast.com slash support. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll be here. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.